All right, we are live, people. Welcome. We are live on Ancient Aliens Worldwide. No issues this morning for that, but we had some issues. We're a little bit late. You guys can see that we're almost 20 minutes late. The reason for that was we had nefariousness trying to stop us from going live all week long. We couldn't go live on Ancient Aliens Worldwide until just this second. And then on top of that, when Gary, who we was following earlier this morning and yesterday, we were talking to him when he tried to go live. None, everything he had, no technology had any microphone the telephone didn't his cell phone didn't his laptop didn't and his and his uh, uh, uh ipad didn't nothing had audio and we had to reboot everything i almost had to reboot the studio thank you leo right so now better, better so say hello, Gary, tell everybody hello so they know your audio is working hello everyone out there okay be so maybe better. leo's about to leave yep I'm going to turn my camera so you guys will be uh, seeing me, all right? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome, finally. So we are very lucky to have Gary Osborne as our guest today. Thank you. Um, the man is from England, London originally, has written, is it 14 books, Gary? I'd like to. Yeah, I'd like to have got that many out. No, um, four. Oh, no, it's more than that. No, actually four. Um, I include in all of your work and stuff then. The Serpent Ground. The Shining Ones, Sun right. Growl 2005, right. Shining Ones 2006, The Geezer Prophecy 2012, and the one with Jim Penniston, The Renishing Enigma 2019. Okay, well, I'm obviously overzealous. It's about time I got a book out of my own, actually, because everyone well, has asked right. me to that's, write a book with them. That's the thing to say is that what we're about to talk about today and what Gary is about to like unfold in front of us today is... Um, is also about well he's not far off having it published so he's trying to figure out how many books to write and what goes in what book that's the thing and you'll figure it out hello everybody yeah. hi kathy denise jeanette and all the other names that i can't see at the moment um so welcome gary osborne thank it's you the order of four books and yeah. a lot of other stuff that has uh yeah blown my mind absolutely yeah i've had other publications, we've had articles and that published. I was actually, I actually gave an appendix to Robert Boval's book, um, Cosmic Room. Oh, cool. Yeah, Didn't know about an appendix to that. And so, thank you, Jeanette. And so, um, where to start? So I think we need to start, if Leo is there, with um, your connection with Jim Penniston, because that's how come I heard about you, first of all is that you co-wrote Jim Penniston's last book with him. And, um, yeah. and then the, the stuff that you've been doing before that joined in with that, exploded, and has continued down the line. There's got nothing to do with the Jim Penniston stuff now, but it all kind of melted <laughs> at the time, didn't it? Well, it, it still has. I mean, he, uh, he contacted me in 2010, first of all. Funny enough, it was just two weeks before that, I was watching a documentary about the Renaultian incident. And I saw an actor playing him, and um, where I was giving him sodium pentothal, and his testimony and everything. And I thought that'd be an interesting guy to talk to. Um, and then two weeks later, out of blues, contacted me by email, and uh, he he asked me if I was going to go to if I could go to the Rendlesham um, conference, which was the 40th. No, not the 40th. It was the 30th, wasn't it? 30th. 30th anniversary, and that was 2010. That was the end of 2010, December 2010. 
I said to him I might not be able to make it because it's Christmas week and uh, I might be visiting family. Um, so then he contacted me again in January and uh, he said, I might have something for you to look at if you could uh, just give it your best shot, look it over and see if you can find any additional information from these coordinates I'm going to send you. Well, that was in January. Then in February, he sent me uh, six sets of coordinates. He said there is a seventh, but that's already been put out into the public domain. So um, I don't know if you want to put the, the message, the binary code message. Well, what he said to me was, I've got this binary code, these seven sets of coordinates. He said, I want you to look at the seven sets of coordinates and see if you can find any additional information. And uh, this, I think I received them something like three o'clock in the morning. I was still up, you know, I, I find it difficult to sleep sometimes. Yeah. I have insomnia a lot of the time, and my mind just won't shut up. So I received them about three o'clock in the morning, and this was on the 3rd of February, and he sent them on the 2nd of February from, from the States. Um, I, as soon as I got them, I was interested in just looking at it on, looking at them on Google Earth. And if you, if you, oh yeah, you put them up. Have you got the other one, the next one? Um, I do, and uh, Leo, it's uh, the main slide 15. Yeah, it should be uh, the locations, the locations of those seven sets of coordinates. I don't know if I have that one on here. Hold on, let me look. Leo, the link needs to be put into to, to the chat. Hold on. I have this one, but I don't think I have the other one uh, downloaded in here. The main slide 15. Is this the one where you're saying I'm less concerned with... Yeah, that's, the, that, that's the whole message that was deciphered. Um, it was deciphered by Joe Luciano, and that was in 2012 when he dis deciphered all of it. But the six or, or seven sets of coordinates were deciphered in 2011, just before Jim Penniston sent them to me. Okay, he, so, so the, 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 I'm less concerned with whether this theory of ancient upright, is that what you wanted reading? Or no, the, the uh, set of slides after that shows the seven sets of uh, the seven locations of those okay, coordinates. Okay, so Leo, that's just the second intro one. Oh, it's the oh, 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 right. Okay, hold on. I know what you're <laughs> talking about. I do have that one. That one shows the actual sites, right? Hold on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's this guy, right? That's the one. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, sorry people... about that. I had it, but didn't realize that was what you meant. Sorry, we're just going to fumble through this. We're yeah, good. Yeah. I'm sure people who have been interested in the in the incident know about the binary code and they've looked at all this themselves they, they I, don't, I don't know it's like it's worth mentioning though it's like the there were yeah. seven binary codes right yeah were yeah. there more well no seven sets of coordinates in the binary code message yeah. um as i said joe luciano he deciphered those seven sets of coordinates but he still had to look at the rest of the message and he had to kind of tidy it up a little because there were sort of errors communication errors right. in certain places and he didn't get that complete until 2012. And that was when I was introduced to him. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, I wasn't introduced to him until a year, a year later. Uh, but Jim was very in control of all this, you know, because he's a very secretive guy. I mean, he, he had top secret clearance. Um, he was one of probably seven people at the base who had top secret clearance. So he's very methodical in the way he goes about things and very secretive. Um, so 
because he felt he needed to control this because it was something that he couldn't really get his head around, you know, writing out pages of ones and zeros. Right, because he didn't know a thing about it, did he? No. I mean, we can go back to that in a moment. But when I received these seven sets of coordinates, or the six sets of coordinates, because the first set had been televised, it had already been put into the public domain on Ancient Aliens uh, right. an episode. I think it was the second season. Um, and I think it was that it was around Christmas time of 2010 that, that it was televised. Maybe it was the 20, 28th, I think. It may have been televised. Well, anyway, he said the first set of coordinates, the, the High Brazil, or High Brazil right. coordinates, he said uh, that's they've been put out. But I want you to look at these six coordinates. I want you to look at them all together and see if you can find any additional information. So when I got those seven sets of coordinates, I looked at them on Google Earth. But, of course, you know, you're on a globe and you can only see one or two here and then you have to go around the globe and find the others. But I was amazed by when the cursor was zooming in on these ancient locations, because they're all locations that are quite, you know, in, significant, you know, in, in terms of our past. And uh, so you've got High Brazil, you've got Caracol, which is the Karna Maya Pyramid, um, Sedona, Arizona, it's kind of like a nondescript location in Sedona. There's nothing really there. Uh, and you've, got, you've got Giza between the two pyramids and I remember well I'll, I'll talk about it in a moment you've got uh, Nazca the Nazca Lines you've got Mount Taishan in China it's actually on the staircase there's this long staircase that leads up on Mount Taishan and it's actually on the staircase the coordinates of, that's, where, that's what they're targeting and then Naxos, which is the Temple of Apollo. And it's the Potara of the Temple of Apollo. And it, there'll be a slide later showing you the Temple of Apollo. It looks like a large doorway. It looks like a, a window, a doorway. You know, that's all that's left of the temple. It's the ruins just left. And it's like a huge doorway or gateway. Um, so after having looked at all these coordinates... I wanted to see them all together on a flat map projection of the Earth, you know, right. Right, a 2D map projection which you would get with Google Maps. Now, when I first started in looking into this, started studying these coordinates, Google Maps had just come out. I think it was 2010. I think it was round about this, round about the time when Jim first contacted me. Google Maps. What you could do with Google Maps then? You could zoom. You could zoom right in. Right. And just like you can do with Google Earth, but you can zoom right in and you can zoom out a little bit and you can, you can take clip or, you know, shots, screenshots of each part of the map and then kind of wed, wed them together in an art program so you can get closer to the ground, if you know what I mean. Well, you could do that with Google Maps then. Uh, they stopped doing that in 2014, so really... When I was first studying these coordinates, I only had a window area in time, a time window of four years. Yeah, that's a lot. So, yeah, and it's and then you get people saying, I'm, I'm rambling a bit here because I'm going off of uh, the script that I had in my head. Yeah, you're all right. But, <laughs> but you have people saying, why did Jim sit on these um, 
on the binary code, on the binary code message for 30 years. You know? I bet he was terrified of losing his career. Yeah, I mean, that is what he says. He says that, you know, he had, had his gun taken away from him, he would have been uh, thrown out of the USAF. And so that was his reason. He, he, when he, after he wrote down these 16 pages of ones and zeros, he just threw them into a drawer. He just threw the notebook into a drawer and forgot about it. He moved a few times, and he did take the notebook with him. And um, anyway, he didn't come forward with the binary code until 2010. I mean, explicitly, right? Because it because it was talked about. I think it was mentioned. Well, it was. It was mentioned in Linda Morton Howe's book. Right. Uh, she had two volumes out. Uh, other realities or something. I can't. Was it strong? Don't matter. She had two volumes out, and the second one was the account of Jim Penniston and the binary code download. Um, and that was the first time it had ever been put into a publication. It was the first time it was ever mentioned. But he didn't really follow up on that at all. Um, in fact, him and Linda Moore now, they kind of had a falling out over it because he didn't really want it mentioned. Um, so, Later on in 2010, he was on the film set of uh, Ancient Aliens again, and he's with John Burroughs. And John Burroughs, John Burroughs was looking over his shoulder, just flipping through his notebook. Because oh yes, yeah, what John Burroughs said to him, "Can you find a date for me in your notebook?" And he's flipping through, and then John Burroughs sees all the pages of ones and zeros. He said, "What's that?" And Jim said, "Oh no, here we go. <laughs> I've got to explain this. So it's something I've been trying to keep from yeah. people all these years." because they think I'm nuts. He didn't know it was binary code when he first wrote them down, when he first wrote down his ones and zeros. He just thought he was going insane with his ones and zeros everywhere. So then he had to explain it to John Burroughs. Linda Morton now come over and she said, oh, did you write them down? Because she knew about the binary code. And but then didn't know that Prom And then Prom Prometheus Entertainment, who, who were shooting the Ancient Aliens series, they got involved. They came over, wanted to look at the notebook, and they asked Jim if he could give hand the pages over because they were in a, a ring binder, the ring binder notebook. Right. And he could take him out. But he used to put them all at the back of the notebook. Whenever he showed the notebook to somebody, he put them all at the back. So oh, wow. Notice them. So uh, he said, OK, I'll give you the first five pages and then see if you can get that deciphered. And that's what they did. I think it was uh, Nick Siska or Siska. He was working for Prometheus Entertainment. Or it was it was handed to him. I mean, he might have been a freelance guy. They handed it to him, and he found out um, the high Brazil coordinates and the first lines of the message. Um, so it all came out, and that's when Jim got in touch with me. Apparently, um, he knew that I was a person who kind of liked looking into codes um, and sort. of deciphering ancient symbology and that's what I was doing at the time and he was told to contact me by the woman he was with at the time he was in a relationship with this woman who was a ufologist she I think she was came from Yorkshire in England but she was she moved to South Africa and because she was into UFOs there and she was investigating UFO sightings there somehow she got Involved with Jim Penniston, I think it was maybe a, 
conference where she was there too and they'd met up and um and then your name came up well she contacted me in 2009 on facebook she said i really like your material you know the stuff that you've been working on and uh she must she must because jim pennison said he had dreams of 23.5 degrees you know? yeah so this is completely different then to so he yeah. has these dreams. She finds out that he. She knows dreaming. that's my work. She knows that's my work, so which we're going to be talking about. about. He keeps dreaming about twenty-three point five, and so she that's said, how he's Gary. Yeah, she said that's Gary Osborne's work. Why don't you get in touch with him and see if he has anything he can look at? Because that's where this seems to be going. And of course, when he first contacted me in. Uh, October, November, I think it was 2010. No, January. That's right. Then he contacted me in January 2011, and he said, um, "I want you to look at this binary code." And I didn't know what it was at the time. I didn't know what he was talking about. Uh, he assumed I did because he probably thought I'd seen the Ancient Aliens episode. And um, his, and his, the title of his email was 23.5 degrees. That get your attention. That got my attention, yeah. Do you think you would have seen it if you hadn't put that into the title? Oh no, I saw it come up, and I thought, what's you know? <laughs> whenever I see the twenty-three point five numbers, I kind of get excited because it's always what I've been working on, you know, for a long time anyway. So this is so when you're researching stuff, it's the twenty-three point five. So yeah, so so what I then. So, yeah, I'll get to that in a minute. I just got back to Jim Penniston about this and I said, why Why did you title your email 23.5 degrees? He said, well, that's I, that's a dream. I've been having these dreams about 23.5. He, he said, I, I thought they might be temperature. It might be a temperature, certain regions on the planet, 23.5. And I thought, oh, that's bizarre. How could you think it's that and I, I said no it's the uh, it's the earth's axis of liquidity it's, the earth is tilted at 23.5 roughly 23.5 degrees from the ecliptic plane so you say that to people right now listen you say that to people yeah, believe it, but that's the most important thing that you need to know at the beginning of this story yeah yeah but you say to people that the earth is tilted at 23.5 and I've had some people come back to me and say how can it be tilted is there's no left and right or up and down in space. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it's tilted in respect to the ecliptic plane, the or right. this orbit around the sun, okay, and it's tilted at 23.5 from the ecliptic plane. It's actually 23.43 degrees, um, and it's slowly decreasing, okay, over time, it's slowly decreasing. Um, but the rough figure of or the all round figure of 23.5 is, is used and it's still used in textbooks today you know um, even though the first I think recorded obliquity of 23.5 was back in 1500 and something um, but ever since then they, they just used that as an all round figure so when I told Jim that he said oh yeah that's probably right yeah 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 I, I must have learned that in school but just forgot you know the, the number the 23.5 degree angle um so then he asked me well what are you why are you working on this what's the 23.5 got to do with anything? and i said uh, 
I told him then that I've been finding all these um, references to the Earth's axis angle of 23.5 in all these paintings. Um, in fact, throughout history, but mostly from the 17th century. Now, this was a long time before I, before Jim contacted me. I mean, contacted me. I mean, this was 20, 2001 when I was first uh, finding all these references to that angle. And uh, 2001, yeah, goes back that far. And the first painting I came across was a painting by Poussin. Actually, we've got to go through this because um, I'm talking and we're not looking at these slides. Yep, the slides would be good. Ah, oh, you see, so, yeah, this, is, this is a totally different context than next lot. Maybe I should talk about this first as well before we get to the 23.5 thing I've been talking about. We can, we can come back to it. We can go back. We can go to where it's main slide one if you want. Well, no, the, the, next, one, the next one is about this book, The Shining Ones. Shining Ones. Leo, can you put up the main slide one, please? There it is. That's it. That's it. Now, yeah, I, I want to take the opportunity to tell people this because I'm thinking I should reclaim my work. You're absolutely right. Because this has been doing the rounds on the internet and for the last 15 years. The eye of Horus is associated with the sense regions in the brain. Um, I came to that after my own experience back in 93. There's an echo on my voice, you know, it's kind of putting me off a bit. Hold on. I don't think anything can be done about it. I mean, we had all those teething problems before we even Is it better? Arrived. Yeah, that's, that sounds better. Um. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, the reason why I had come to this because I was researching into the experience I had back in 93. Um, it was a kind of spontaneous ex experience. Um, I didn't know what it was at the time. I mean, I'm a working class guy from Peckham, South East London. And the rough environment I was brought up in is just not conducive to this kind of experience, you know. And I later found out it was uh, a Kundalini awakening experience. Uh, as I said, the environment is not conducive to that. If I was to tell anybody back then in Peckham, uh, if I ever mentioned Kundalini, they, they said, what, did you just swear at me? <laughs> so I had this experience and I found out that yogis in the East could spend a lifetime trying to have this experience, but it happened to me spontaneously. Then I started looking into it, started researching into it, and I found that there's been a lot of, um, of these spontaneous awakenings from the 50s. And I think it may have something to do with the drug culture at the time, you know, 50s and 60s. Very likely. And there's been these kind of spontaneous awakenings of, you know, Kundalini awakenings. And while I was researching into it, you know, I was, I was approaching it from... I didn't have any preconceived ideas or beliefs about it. And because I realised that it had certain symptoms that I was reading about, but I was kind of interpreting them in a different way. 
it's like a fresh look at this experience. And I found that in certain UFO encounters, abduction cases, there's symptoms of this experience being related, you know, in, the, in people's accounts. Um, well, anyway, the research led me to the Eye of Horus, and I realised that the Eye of Horus, if you was to put it over a sagittal view of the brain, the the actual pupil of the eye lines up with the thalamus. Um, the stalk going down, that, that lines up, it says the hypothalamus, but it actually lines up with the pituitary gland as well. And then you've got that spiral, which is kind of the spinal cord. And then you've got the eyebrow, which is the corpus callosum. But I found that the, there's the 64... Uh, it's each of the parts of the eye, they're segments, okay? And um, they each have something to do with the senses, the five senses, and there's a sixth sense. And I think that's to do with fault or inner sight. But they line up, each of these parts of the eye line up in, with the parts in the brain that are related to the senses. Well, the image underneath is the, what I did in 2003 or 2005. I think I did them in 2003 and then it was published on my website 2005. And that's the first time anybody had ever come to this, you know. Because I remember looking, I remember searching on the internet to see if anybody else had come to it, and there was no one talking about it. But you see, I was when I was researching the internet experience, I was going looking at the Hindu Vedas, um, uh, tantric Hindu, early tantric Hindu sources that just they they emphasised the the centre of the brain, the thalamus. And they were saying that that's the real third eye. In fact, the pituitary and pineal glands are all components of the third eye, including the thalamus. And they say that the, the pituitary gland is, is associated with female energy, the pineal gland with the male energy, and the thalamus is kind of like neuter, kind of like neutral. Which um, all goes together for the Kundalini, right? It's a triad, yeah, it's a triad in the brain. Uh, so anyway, I, I, I came to this in 97, first came to it in 97. Now down on the right, right hand corner there is, um, is a schematic of that, which uh, Chance Gardner had done. Chance Gardner is the guy who created Magical Egypt series. And he's, um, he's a bit of a genius actually. I mean, his, his CGI is fantastic. And he had me um, on the show, uh, on the second season, there's been three seasons out. There's a second and a third. The first season he did with Graham Hancock, Robert Bovell, uh, John Anthony West. And the second season I was in with this guy named Brad Clausen, who's another graphic artist like myself. And I guess with graphic art, you know, you, you have this kind of ability to have, to see, have this pattern recognition ability. And uh, so Brad Clausen's in the series because of his own theories or his own discoveries about the brain as well. You know, the brain stem and certain 
symbology in ancient symbology that looks at the brainstem that you can apply it to the brainstem. Um, yeah, so that's by Charles Gardner. Now, Charles Gardner is, uh, I mean, his Magical Egypt series has got like cult status. And you could imagine that if uh, Tim Burton or David Lynch had tried to do a documentary about ancient Egypt, then they would approach the subject the same way as Charles Gardner is. So he's, he's quite kind of quirky the way he goes about things, but really clever, really clever. And I'm really proud to have been part of that series. Um, anyway, so now, all this has been going, it's been doing the rounds on the internet, it's been viral, it's been like an internet meme. And no one knew who originally came up with that, but it was me. And it's about time it was... It was I think you should take credit for it. Credit where credit's due. I, 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 I've taken the high road for too long about it, you know? I think and, so too. Uh, it, it, that have come up during our conversations that are, are very similar. So where, does it, where did it go from there then? So bouncing from the whole Jim well, Pennington thing... Because of the research in my own experience, that was one of the things that came out of it. Um, but yeah, I was kind of researching the Kundalini experience and also I realized that the spinal column, the jet column of Osiris, the god Osiris in Egypt, the jet column, which is, it looks like a tree with four hoops around the top. Right. But it's the backbone of Osiris, but it could also double as the Earth's axis. Okay, so now you can see the connection there as to why I started looking at the Earth's axis in history and looking at the ancient symbology about the Earth's axis. I mean, a lot of people say they didn't know about the Earth's axis. But you can pin down certain things, you know, the symbology, like ancient Egyptian symbology and also Hindu, um, the churning of the, the sea of milk. It's an axis. It's a, it's a celestial axis of the Earth. So they knew that the Earth rotated on an axis. Uh, so then I started looking into all this to do with the celestial axis of the Earth, or celestial pole. And if you look at the next slide, the next set of slides, I can see how you've done this. It's not too bad, is it? So you want you want slide no. two, which is the Giza prophecy stuff. Yeah. But Could you do that one? Look, oh, how, yeah. poor look how poor, poor George Washington's turned out here. He's yeah, well, he, up. he looks like a squash person, but, you know, I had limited time. <laughs> That's all right. The height to width ratio is a little bit out. A bit out, but you get the gist. <laughs> yeah, so the, so the image, the diagram at the top is the Earth tilted at 23.5 in respect to the elliptic plane. Um, the picture down on the left corner there, left bottom corner, that's a painting, that's a typical kind of, it's, a, it's an example of the kind of things I was finding in these paintings. You see him pointing upwards, this is Apollo, pointing upwards at 23.5 and pointing with his other hand at perpendicular, the same angle but perpendicular to the first one. So there you've got like the axis and you've got the ecliptic, uh, sorry, the uh, equator, 23.5. Now with George Washington, 
this portrait by Gilbert Stewart, 1796. You see, his hand is 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 uh, it's like he's talking about being on the square, you know, on the level, on the square. Right. Because the hand that's holding the sword is pointing, his fingers pointing straight down. So that would be, that would be, if the earth was upright, that's how it would be. But of course, he's right. got the sword. He's got the sword angled at twenty-three point five. Now, he's got his hand out, and he's got his finger pointing down at the zero. And he's got the twenty. And he's got the sword at twenty-three point five. Now, the, the sword is a weapon used in conflict, war, uh, battle. It's also the sword of truth. Um, as it cuts through lies, penetrates lies, that kind of thing. So it's a symbol of truth as well. So what he's saying here is that he's on the level, as the Freemasons say, on the square, but showing that there's this 23.5 angle, which is the Earth's axis, and that's not on the level. The Earth is tilted at 23.5, and that's the true condition of the Earth. Now... Okay, you can take that down there if you want. Can we go to the next one, slide three? No, 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 it's all right. Not yet, not yet. Right. So uh, I was talking to Scott Crichton on the Graham Mancock website forum, and um, I told him about these 23.5 degree references, and then I showed him some. Those are just a couple of examples. I mean, there's hundreds, hundreds. And he said, and he said I... After a while, he came back to me and said, I've got a theory about this as to why they've uh, been, been given reference to the 23.5 degree angle of the earth. He said the church at the time, the Catholic church, were putting out this, uh, it was a doctrine, the geocentric system doctrine, that the earth, that the earth was still, it was at the centre of the universe, it was still, it didn't rotate on an axis, um, it was perfectly upright, uh, the sun, the stars, and the planets revolved around the earth. And it was a picture of perfection. Just has it would be God's creation, a picture of perfection. And that's the doctrine they put out. And that was based on um, Claudius Ptolemy. Uh, he introduced that, the geocentric view of the universe with the earth at the centre. And, and he said that they, you know, indoctrinated people with this you know, a picture of the earth being perfect and not tilted. And he said, uh, he, he was saying that there were a group of people, initiates into the knowledge, scientific knowledge, the scientific knowledge at the time, who knew the truth about the earth's condition being tilted. And they were, and the paintings that among this, in this group, among them in this group, were encoding the angle of 23.5 in the paintings. So, so it was that on purpose? Yeah, well, it's a way they were kind of trying to get away because I mean they would have been seen as heretics by the church. Right, there's a lot of stuff that's so, been done like that. Yeah. So they were encoding information, yeah, and this was part of it. And I thought, well, that's that's great. It's a really good theory. Uh, it's logical. You know, it would explain why in the 17th century you got all these paintings with this, you know, reference to the angle 23.5. And when I say references, I mean, I'm talking about spears, swords, uh, 
steps, uh, edges of tables, the wall, certain walls, or the lay of the land are, are painted at 23.5 degrees exactly. Some of them are 23, but it's saying the same thing, you know, that the Earth's yeah. axis of liberty. So anyway, I thought it was a good theory, and he wanted to do a book, and that's and that's this book, The Geezer Prophecy. And that book has a lot of kind of synchronistic uh, connections to the Jim Penniston Code, okay, which we'll talk about in a moment. But anyway, we did this book together, me and Scott, and then I thought, wait a minute, these 23.5 degree references, they go back further than the Catholic Church. It's all throughout history. I mean, how does his theory explain that? So, uh, anyway, the I want to show the first one I found, which was associated with the Great Pyramid. So this is the next slide. And it's uh, a painting by Nicholas Poussin. If you can put that, yeah, that's it. So there you, in the top left-hand corner, that's just the painting as is, okay? In the painting, his hand, he's, on his uh, small finger of his right hand, he has a, a, a ring, and it's, it's a four-sided stone. So it's like a pyramid, okay? Can you see that? Yeah, I can see it comes up like a pyramid. Yeah. yeah. Now, the one below that, the image below that, is of the goddess Astria, I think the goddess is, but Diana is also Diana. And uh, as you can see in the painting, she is on a painting behind him. Now, if you was to connect the pyramid ring, the angle from the pyramid ring to the eye, the all-seeing eye in a tiara or crown, Right. It's exactly 23.5 degrees. As you and can quite see, amazing the, that there's an the eye left. like that in the top of a crown or a tiara. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, that's exactly 23.5 degrees from the pyramid ring to the all seeing eye. Now, you go to the next slide. Have you got slide four? Yes, he does. Now, on the $1 bill, we know the pyramid with the all-seeing eye and the capstone, right? The pyramid is truncated, but you've got this, you know, floating capstone with the all-seeing eye there. Right. But the side of the apex is 23.5 degrees, and it's actually connected to the pyramid there. Just as in Poussin's painting, his pyramid ring is connected to the all-seeing eye and the crown of the goddess. Yeah. Right. But if you look at if you look at thirteen, you can see there's a lot more encoding that's gone on in that painting. Yeah. Probably be too much to explain it all, but it's it's got the same proportions of the Earth and Moon that we find with the Great Pyramid. It's telling us that the twenty three point five angle is actually in the cross section of the pyramid. If you look at a pyramid in cross section you find that this is 23.5 angle. And if you look at below that painting by Poussin, you see the discovery I made with the Great Pyramid. It's 23.5 angle goes from the south corner vertex to 
to the centre of the king's chamber and there's a perpendicular 23.5 angle going through the two chambers, the two internal chambers that we know. And the king's chamber is offset by 6.5 degrees. Right? Now, if you were to superimpose the Great Pyramid over the Earth, you find that the Great Pyramid is actually pointing to its own location at 6.5 degrees from the ecliptic plane. That's so insane. And 30 degrees from the equator. See that? Yeah. I hope people can take that in because it's really quite significant. It's very significant. Well, that's one of the things that went into the Giza prophecy with um, Scott Cryer. Uh, that's that to me. Well, I mean, even Graham Hancock mentioned it. He thought it was kind of weird that uh, the Great Pyramid encodes the geodetic uh, angles of the Earth, the orbital dynamics of the Earth in the Great Pyramid. So. Uh, so the way, the, way, the way you've got that picture there, do you think that that would mean that the centre of the Earth, as it is on that diagram, the centre of the Earth being the top of the pyramid, do you think that that would be like in line with the, the, king's, the king's, king's chamber? chamber? Yeah, king's chambers, uh, of course, centre of the Earth on there. But <laughs> going back to the work I was doing with the Horus Eye and the brain, if you were to superimpose the brain over the Great Pyramid, you'd find that the king's chamber is where the thalamus would be, and the pituitary gland is where the queen's chamber is, which leaves another chamber for the pineal, but also the subterranean chamber, it's the carotid gland in the throat, kind of matches wow. up with that, which I haven't shown on here, I should have actually put it in with the other with these graphics, but that was doing it. That's another one that's been doing the rounds on the internet. I don't know what it is, but it really captures captures people's imagination, you know, that kind of... I didn't really put a lot into that. What I mean is I didn't um, I didn't see it as that being that significant. It was just something that I thought, that's strange because there's a match there, you know. But it's all pattern recognition stuff. And uh, But whenever I showed it to people, they were like, amazed. They thought, that's... that's Probably, that's probably right, that's probably what was meant. you were meant to see. And then I thought about it, I thought the chambers in the Great Pyramid are probably telling us that, are probably giving us a kind of schematic of the chakra levels in the, along the spine, depending on how many chambers there are, they're yet to be found in the Great Pyramid, right, because you've got a subterranean chamber. You know that Sorry? there's one more, we know that there's one more, right, pretty certain, but you definitely... Yeah, well anyway... Well, I'll get on to the the, uh, the Rendlesham code is actually pointing to another chamber above the King's Chamber. So that means there's four chambers and there could be more above that, which kind of, I don't know, relate to the chakra levels along the spine. Well, and there's also four chambers in the heart, so... But also, it it's acts like a schematic for the brain, the power centres in the brain. You know, the pituitary gland being in the Queen's Chamber and the... So it's like both those views encoded in the pyramid. But really, there's so much that's been encapsulated in the pyramid. It's like an, an encyclopedia of knowledge. Uh, so it wouldn't surprise me that they've also got the chakra levels in there and the, the earth, the geodetic information about the earth. Um, 
and this um, emphasis on the centre of things, you know, the centre of the brain, the centre of the earth, uh, in a kind of spiritual context. So, I'm saying that the, the Great Pyramid is probably so much encapsulated now, as I said, it's like an encyclopedia of knowledge. Um, below, below that, is it on there? Yeah. You can see the glass, the glass pyramid, the glass pyramid in the Louvre in France, uh, in Paris. And again, pyramid, but it's angled at 23.5 degrees. Which is the same with the, with the same with the, what's in the pyramid, you know, the same angle. It's exactly the same. Yeah. Not an accident. And also, right, now below that, below that image of the Louvre in Paris is these keystones. To the right, there's a, a picture, there's a photo of uh, Frank C. Higgins. Okay, that's and how I, it is. And I found out about him after I'd been finding these references to the angle, 23.5. I found out about his work and he was perhaps the first person to actually find these references to the angle in ancient sources. So these keystones at the bottom here are like over 7,000 years old, he said. And they're amulets that come from all around the world. And he says that their sides are angled at 11.75, which is half of 23.5. But you place them together as 23.5. Some are 23.5 and some are 47, which is two times 23.5. Right. Uh, so there's these references to the Earth's axis angle again. If we go to the next slide. Yeah, up in the top left corner there. That's another uh, illustration from his book. It's called Ancient Freemasonry. He wrote it in 1919. And again, he's telling us that in these ancient ancient depictions you find the references to the angle in the staffs they're holding they're each at 23.5 degrees but together they make 47 and also the coins there the cone the the pyramid there is at 23.5 or is it 11.75 i'm not sure 23.5 i'm sure yeah the coins there yeah Yeah, ancient Phoenician temples of Cyprus showing pillar and worship with conical stones, 23 half and 47 degree angles. So he gives other he gives other examples. So Frank C. Higgins was the first one to find these references to the Earth's subjectivity angle. But I would I say I'm since then I'm the only person that's come to this. So, absolutely. I, I, I didn't. I didn't find any. While I was finding these references, I didn't see it anywhere on the internet. Now, the one in the top right-hand corner, which is Zervan, Zervan, ancient Persian depiction of the god Zervan. Now, that was sent to me by Andrew Collins. Oh, yeah because we talked about these references to the Earth's axis angle and he said, well, look at this. And he, shot, he, he sent it to me. 
he said, that goes back, and I can't really read it under there now, is it? Is yeah, it? sorry. <laughs> Five, 500 BCE. Oh, wow. But the angle of that mace, or whatever is holding there, is at 24 degrees, but that would have been, that would have been the Earth's axis angle at that time. Because it's decreasing, see? So it went from 24 to 23.5, and now it's 23.43. So they knew? Yeah, they knew about the Earth's Yeah, they did. And also, I mean, it's in the Greek, the Greek, uh, on the, in the Greek historical record that they knew about the Earth's, they knew the Earth was tilted. And that actually, heliocentric system the sun was at the center of the universe they knew all that yeah now the one bottom left right hand corner uh, sorry the bottom left corner is um, Theseus the Greek hero Theseus who became uh, was it the ruler of Athens and he's holding up this rock because there's his father's uh, sword and sandals who, put under this rock, it's all part of the myth. But he's holding up this rock and it's at the angle of 24, which is again, is the Earth's axis angle. At that time. Yeah. So, uh, as I said, Scott Crichton had this theory, but I found that these references go back further than the Catholic Church. And then I found that there's all these paintings of Jesus Christ carrying the cross uh, to go go for where he's going to be nailed to the cross and raised upright, he's carrying the cross at twenty three point five degrees. I mean the way the way the you've the height to width ratio here is 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 out of, is a little bit out. So you, it's a bit squashed because I've squashed it in there, but my yeah, that's all right. That's all right, but. You can see where I put these white lines to show that that, that white line is actually at the angle twenty three point five, and you can see that the cross, the beams of the cross are at that angle. Right. So there's four examples there. Now let go on to the next set. Please, Leo. Slide, please. Hopefully, he's still there. Oh, Leo. <laughs> I'll probably set him asleep. I doubt it. I, I know we have to go through this because it's an important part of my work. Yes, that is a big part. Yeah, so at the top there, you see all these different paintings with the cross at 23.5. Again, you know, you look down. You look down at all these paintings. They're all at twenty-three point five. The crosses at twenty-three point five. That's unbelievable, isn't it? That's so many. Yeah, but there's more than that. I mean, I'm only just showing you a percentage of the whole list that I've, I've got documented. You know, I've got them all documented. Do you know? I I was actually getting fed up with finding them <laughs> because I knew that each way is so. Like, were they endemic. all twenty-three point five, or did you have some that were nowhere near it? Yeah, it looks, there's quite a few that are nowhere near it, but no, the, the, the volume of how many are at that angle, and I mean the angle is precise, you've got to be precise. Yeah. If it was 22.5, you'd see a difference. 
Totally. If it was tw- if it was twenty four, you'd see a difference, you know. So, uh, totally, um, it's a phenomenon, you know. It's, it's passed under the radar all this time. No one noticed these paintings with these references to the angle. Now, this has got to be telling us something, right? So I thought Scott Crichton's theory is good, but why is Jesus Christ painted with a cross at 23.5? Why is he carrying a cross at 23.5? I don't know. And if we go on further... Next slide. Like magic. Now, up in the top left corner there, that's um, the Jedcon, which is supposed to be the symbol. It symbolizes the spinal column of Osiris. Uh, and, he's, and the column is raised upright. And, it, and the Egyptologists will tell us that it was a ceremony that they had um, at the Hebsed festival they would have. And uh, they would raise the Jed column of Osiris, his backbone, which doubles as the Earth's axis, upright. Um, and they say that they used to raise, they would raise his backbone, the Jed column, up during the um, it was a Koichak, Koichak, uh, season. It's the fourth month anyway, the inundation, inundation of the Nile. It was during the Hebsed festival. But then you find that people like Gerald Massey who was uh, a spiritualist, also an English poet. Uh, he wrote a book called, um, was it Light of the World? And he said that the Jed column was raised upright on the spring equinox. And then you've got people like Alan Boyd Kuhn, who was a theosophist, that he said the same thing, that it was raised up on the spring equinox. Now we know that Jesus Christ is raised up Easter. And... Um, yeah, and that's the was it the first Sunday after the Paschal full moon following the spring equinox? So that is associated with spring equinox. So you think, well, Jesus Christ is based on Osiris, but Horus really, because Horus we find out he's the one who raises his father's backbone upright, right? And then you think to yourself, well, all this because you see on the on the top. Right, you see Horus raising the jet column. You see that? That's his son yeah. Horus raising the jet column. But it's like Jesus Christ carrying the cross at a 23.5 angle of the Earth's axis, and then he's nailed to it. He takes on the sins of the people. He takes on the sins of the people, and then he's he's absorbed their sins and he, he's raised upright on the cross, raised upright, just like our Osiris's backbone and the axis of the Earth is raised upright. And it's all associated with the spring equinox. And the spring equinox and the autumn equinox are the only two days in a year that the earth would be in the same conditions as if it was upright. Okay? Oh, really? Yeah. Um, people, was, well, scientists, there's a lot of scientists have said that if the earth was upright, there would be no seasons, there would be a continual springtime. Yeah. It'd be temperate weather equal day and night, as there are on the equinoxes. And uh, uh, fertility would be at all-time high, and at certain latitudes, it would just be continual springtime. Everything would be growing. It would be an abundance of vegetation all year, all year round. 
like a Garden of Eden. Yeah. So, and then you think, and then you think about that phrase, you know, the fall of man, the fall of man. And you think, well, what are they trying to tell us? Was the earth once upright? Something happened to the earth when it tilted at 23.5. And then you've got these Messiah figures, like Jesus, Cyrus, Horus. They're raising it back to vertical. Right. Upright. And you, know, you think, well, what is this? And I looked into it and I've, it's not as if they're saying the earth was upright at one time. They're saying it should be. It's like there's a belief that the earth should be upright. That everything in balance. And that the earth being tilted reflects an imbalance in human consciousness. And all the sins of the world, the wars, the conflicts, the arguments, all the things that are just wrong with our world is a reflection of the earth being tilted at 23.5. Now, despite what I believe, this is what I found that there was this belief. And then you find it in a lot of esoteric works where they talk about the earth being tilted as a, a sinful thing. You know, it's, it's an, it shows an imbalance in human consciousness. Well, and this now, I began finding, after this, I began finding these paintings where there's violence and conflict and war. And even in these paintings of um, the dance of death, you know, the, the limbs are at 23.5. So if you look below, if you look below the, uh, the Jed column images, the Egyptian Jed column images, you see the painting with the knife at 23.5, Apollo and Marasis, I think. And that's 1665, again, another 17th century painting. Um, and then you see Isaac, who's sacrificing his son, uh, sorry, Abraham, sacrificing his son Isaac with a with knife at 23.5. And then you see the trees at 23.5 and you see an angel come down to tell him, no, you know, you're not to do it. Even though God said, you know, sacrifice your son. He was just seeing if you was, uh, you know, loyal to him, sort of kind of thing. And um, he's point, the angel's pointing upwards, you see. So it's yeah. as if everything that's, wrong, everything that's wrong with the world is at 23.5. And, uh, you know, the spiritual spiritual source which the earth fell away from that severed that connection the earth needs to be upright again and of course when Jesus is raised upright that's when he enters heaven he enters, he enters the heavenly kingdom so then go on go on the next slide there's, a, there's these other paintings of uh, Abraham about to sacrifice his son Isaac Again, the dagger, and I have 23.5. Top right hand corner is the dance of death. You see their limbs? They're all at the angle of 23, not 23.5, but 23. All of them. It's still, that, it's still a, you know, um, a reference to the Earth's axis of bleak Absolutely. See this, and you see the, uh, the man of God is standing upright. And all their limbs are at 23.5. The recorder of flute that the, one of the 
that is playing there is at 23, 23, sorry, 23. And then you look below that, there's more examples. This time, 23.5. Uh, in the bottom left corner there. The skeletons? It's the same thing, the same theme with the uh, the woodwind instrument or whatever, and the drum, that's a uh, drumstick at 23.5. And the bottom left is the uh, instrument at 23.5. Now tell me that's a coincidence. No, I don't believe in coincidences anyway, but this is like crazy, isn't it? Yeah, so then, I mean, all this, as I said, is passed under the radar. No, no one has ever noticed that he's in the paintings. But there must have been a group of, there must have been a group of initiates that were, were making these references uh, and they all were in on it and I yeah. guess it became a tradition a tradition after a while and to the point where they were making these references and not really realizing why after a while you know yeah because you find you still find them today still there's still artists who are painting making references to the angle which I'll show in a, show in a moment but if we go to the next slide You see, there's all these uh, spears. So it's a battle, and all the yeah. spears are 23.5, except the last one, which is 30. Uh, the one below that on the left, 23.5. That's the only spear that is different from the others because it's on the outside. It's you know, it's in front. You see what I mean? Where all the others are behind, and so that sticks out like a sore thumb. And it's 23.5. The sword, or whatever it is, the weapon being held by the knight there, I think it's the sword, 23.5. And then you've got at the bottom these paintings of uh, John the Baptist, the young John the Baptist. And his reed cross is at 23.5. In these different examples. 1490. Yeah, some of them do go back that far, yeah. But as I said, most of them in the 17th century, 1600s. So. Right. Um, then if we go further, I mean, there's a lot I'm showing here, but this is just the percentage of the amount. Yes, the, the as, I said, <laughs> as I said, I got fed up with finding them because I knew I had to document it. I knew I had to document them. Absolutely. File them away, yeah? Yeah. So, so up in the top left corner, you've got St. John the Baptist, the Red Cross, again at 23.5. The one on the left is kind of bent a little, but the top half is at 23.5. Uh, you even get in pointing at 23.5. And people say, how can you measure your finger at 23.5 degrees? But, <laughs> but, but the thing is, is that they are all pointing at 23.5, you see the one on the left there? The things are pointing at 23.5, and, right, the ones at the bottom right are of uh, Mary Magdalene, holding the cross, holding the crucifix, I should say. Again, 23.5. All these different orientations at the same angle, right? Different times and different 
subjects, but all yeah. denoting 23.5. Yeah, mostly religious paintings. Do you think they're trying to tell us something? Say that again, sorry? Do you think they're trying to tell us something? <laughs> yes. Yes, I do. Yeah. Um, do Can we have the next slide? Yeah. Now, you, you've heard of the John gesture, right? You've heard of yeah. the John gesture? Okay, now, so like right. the Da Vinci paintings, he's pointing upwards. Okay. Well, that's that. the vertical, the earth being vertical. But what they missed is the John gesture of him pointing at 23.5. You know, these different orientations of 23.5. They've missed, they missed that. They always saw that. Right. But it's like, it's... What is being said is the Earth should be upright. It's right. it's not. It's at twenty three point five, and it's not a, a balanced, sort of balanced condition. That, in fact, the Greeks actually said it's a it's a unnatural condition for the Earth to be at twenty three point five. A lot of people will, a lot of people will challenge that and say, actually, we need the four seasons. You know. Yeah. Well, if we don't have. We don't have seasons like that in Florida, and we seem to manage quite fine, you know. Thing is, uh, with Osiris, he was seen as a solar god, sun god, first of all, and then he became the god of the underworld, yeah, the god of the dead, and the vegetation god, and he was the green man. But you see, the reason why he was god of the dead is because something must have happened to the earth that tilled it, and then you had the four seasons, and then you had a season, the winter season, when nothing grows. It, it, you know, it stopped dead for a little while, for right. a while, and then, then it, you get spring where everything starts growing again. So he became a vegetation god, and you can see that makes kind of more sense as to why, because yeah. now there's a win winter season and agriculture. Man had to learn agriculture. So with the earth being tilted, through some reason, if it was once upright, for the earth being tilted, uh, man fell into time, into time. Humanity fell into time. Sorry, I don't. It's this kind of patriarchal thing, you know, man. Humanity fell into time, and they had to learn agriculture. Um, so maybe the Earth was upright one time, but you can't actually prove it. There's a lot of books out actually saying that the Earth was once upright, and that due to some cataclysm, it tilted. Makes you wonder. I mean, Atlantis and. Yeah, that's right. All that seems to be tied in, but this is what the code is saying. And the reason I'm going for all this is because I'm leaving yeah, up to what the code is telling us. Absolutely. But it would make sense, so that, you know, Utopia of Atlantis yeah. was before whatever happened. And if it happened and wiped Atlantis out, that makes sense. Yeah. So it may have been a comet or something. Well, there is a, actually a, another drawing. It's, a, it's actually a, a Masonic drawing, um, which we'll get to, which shows that. They think it was a comet. But anyway, right. the next, the next, the next lot, yeah, are these vanitas paintings? Um, yeah, the vanity of life, you know, that everybody's going to die at some point. So that's why they painted these uh, this theme. So then you see the recorder or wind instrument at twenty three point five. That's not that impressive, but it's there, you know. Yeah, and then the, the the one on the right, you know, there's all these. You <laughs> see the angle at twenty three point five there. The book is at that angle, and then the one in the bottom left, uh, the uh, 
See the tuning, tuning knobs on the. Is it the violin oh, well, or the cello? It's a cello because it's large. Yeah. They're at the angle twenty three point five, and so is the wind instrument there. Um, now the one on the right, bottom right, that's by um, someone. Yeah. Night, th these were these paintings were made between ninety ninety one and ninety three, I think. Really? Then I'm never going to remember. And uh, this is the one that you contacted the artist, didn't you? I contacted her secretary. She wouldn't. She wouldn't answer. It was a secretary that answered, and I said, "Why are?" Painted show these references to 23.5. You know, I've been trying to just trying to find out why. And she says, "No, I don't. I don't think that's right. I think she has a proclivity to paint around that angle. You know, that it's just her eyesight. She actually paints to the fire ratio. You know, right? <laughs> but it seemed like a lame excuse, really. And uh, pretty much, yeah. Uh, but as you can see, the knife, the, the knife." There's two knives there that are painted at 23.5. One of the knives is going through the bread. Well, the other one as well. Going through the bread. Now, that's like a, an allusion to Osiris because he's not only the vegetation god, but he's also the god of wheat and bread. So it's like... Another connection. Yeah, it's like the Earth's axis is associated with Osiris's spinal column. And... With, with the tilt of the earth, the winter season came in and that's where things died temporarily. You know, there was death in the cycle. So, and also, again, the knife is a, a weapon, it can be used as a weapon. And um, they believe that everything that's wrong with the world, conflict, wars, battles, uh, arguing, all kinds of conflicts is all because of uh, the earth being tilted. Well, that would make sense, though, wouldn't it? Yeah, and then we go yeah. To the next lot. And then we go to the next lot. The next slide. I'm kind of. I still hear that echo. You know, it does. It's kind of putting me off a bit. That's the reason why I'm talking slowly. Is that still there now? It came back in again. It came back in so slowly that. You know. Is it? Is it gone now? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So now we have the uh, deluge, the great flood, and you right. can see that the bolts of lightning have been painted at twenty-three point five. Now, if the Earth did tilt, of course there would be floods everywhere. The sea would be sploshing, splashing about everywhere. You think? It doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the great flood most likely. Related, we're telling they're telling us this in these paintings, and you see the one below on the left. That's a, again the the lightning bolt is at twenty three point five. But of course, the way because you've scrunched it up, you can't see that it's the same angle as the one above. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, but, but it is the same can. angle. But it is the same angle. Yeah, it's funny that you've. Uh, Titled that 47 because that's two times 23.5 and it looks like it's saying that oh, the wow. angle is 47. 
It probably is now. <laughs> it probably well, is. You, you say it's 47, the number 47. Yeah. Well, and the one on the right there, I showed that painting how you would see it normally. But when I looked at that, I thought, those arms. It yeah. just It just jumps out here and you think, those arms were at 23.5. And then I measured them, and of course they were. And it's a male and female. It's a joining, a union of the man and female energies kind of thing. Right. And, uh, yeah, at that angle. So, and the next slides, the next set of slides. On the wow, look top at the left, there. You see? They're at the angle 23.5. Again, the arms. Everything. The edge of the arm, you see, the edge of the, the inner edge of the arm there of the male and the outside edge of the female. But the whole orientation is twenty three point five. You can see that, can't you? Yes, you can. The way the, the way they're all leaning, the way they're all leaning, and uh, the lay of the land. Now we come to that Masonic tracing board drawing. So I'm showing it on its own at top top left. Right. There's this dagger, and it's like the hand of God is holding this dagger. That's top right. Yeah. At, at the bottom, they're scrunched up. It's actually that dagger is at the angle of 23.5. Wow. Now, that's from the book Uriel's Machine The Ancient Origins of Science by Christopher Knight and Robert Lomas. And they say that and this is what I've, I've quoted them here. Rainbow imagery also appears in Masonic symbolism and is associated with falling comets and the flood. This image is taken from an old Masonic tracing board that was used to instruct Freemasons in the ancient traditions of the Order. At the top, a hand appears from the sky holding a dagger, which is known to be an extremely old symbol for a comet. Around the hand, waves are depicted, possibly symbolising the top of the waters when the floodwaters struck. In the centre, we are shown a rainbow containing the five-pointed star, which is a representation of Venus, the morning star, which symbolises rebirth in Judaism. Freemasonry and many other ancient traditions. Below the rainbow is the burning bush, from which God is said to have spoken to Moses on Mount Sinai, and below that is an underground cavern, which must have been the only sanctuary during the dark, cold and very wet months after the comet impact. But you see, even though they, they published that, that image in the book, they didn't know that the dagger was actually at the angle of 23.5. They didn't. So, uh, yeah. Shows you, doesn't it? Now, if you go, go to the next slide. That's a painting called Arcadia. It's Arcadian Landscape. Oh, yes, it's, it's, the title is Arcadian Landscape. And the staff is at 23.5 and is also pointing at 23.5 perpendicular. But Arcadia, the whole thing about Arcadia is it's mentioned in the Rensselaer Chateau uh, mystery. <laughs> what are you doing, you mate? <laughs> you all right? I am here. 
I just gotta put the AC on. Okay. I thought she was going for her knitting. No, I'm not just going to knit on the AC. It's just turned back on again. I was going right. to say that. I was going to say that, but I thought, no, I better not. Dying. Yeah, so the Arcadian theme runs throughout the whole, you know, the Holy Blood, Holy Grail book, you know, about the Renzo yeah. Chateau. And there's certain, certain things in that book that kind of talk about oh, Arcadia, Arcadia being a paradise, much like the Garden of Eden, maybe before the Earth tilted. You know, that kind of thing. Right. So there's that theme as well. I mean, all those, all that ties in with all this as well. It does. So now I want to just quote this because this is what I'm saying. When I started looking into the esoteric uh, literature, looking to see if there is anything on record that shows why they would have made these references to the angle of the Earth's axis. And this is uh, a quote from the book On a Gold Basis, a treatise on mysticism by Isabel Gesteiger. And this was in 1907. <laughs> I need your attention, Mandy. <laughs> I'm waiting for you to read. Okay, all right. Yeah, I'm and not sure says, what you did. Go ahead, go ahead and keep reading. Yeah, she says, later on, I will try to enter more fully into the mystic grounds for the doctrines, both of the fall of man and the origin of evil. For the present, suffice it to say that mystics consider the present world as a fallen earth, i.e. both physically and metaphysically, it is drooping on its axis. That instead of being polarised, astronomically and mathematically upright to its central sun, Macrocosmically and microcosmically, there is a leaning to one side. This, on the part of the microcosm of man or man, produces a greater tendency to sin or departure from the upright and in the macrocosm to further deflection of the sun's rays so that the earth suffers with man for want of strength to resume its original paradise position, the upright one. The great work, the magnum opus of the world in general, and man in particular is therefore to reinstate the world in its upright position to restore paradise. So there you, you've got the answer there. Seriously, just telling that, me what it's all about. That they believe that, you know, the earth is in a unnatural condition being tilted. And then this one from actually Frank C. Higgins, who was the guy who found the original references. one. Yeah. And uh, this is. Uh, I mean, it's a poem about the apron, you know, the Masonic apron, these yeah. traditions. And he says, emblem of a life intense, held aloof from the world of sense, of the upright walk and lofty mind, far from the dross of earth inclined. <laughs> so they, so esotericists, they knew about, I mean, certain groups oh, of, uh, oh, I, I don't know, secret societies and they, they, they understand all this, they understand that this is a huge missing part of the whole Messiah mythos, which is universal, in that the Messiah 
it's someone who with his teachings is able to uh, restore the earth to its previous condition which is upright by, by the spread of the knowledge it will change, it'll alter the consciousness of everyone on the planet yeah and that not <laughs> so really we're all it's a, a bit strange it's a strange thing not i don't think that we're going to ever turn the earth upright but that's what they believed you know that it, if everybody had changed change if their consciousness was changed the whole kind of internal dialogue had changed and uh it's to would, say it wouldn't it's just i mean you don't know more peaceful yeah more peaceful um balanced than maybe the earth might be righted in some way yeah so do to move to the a, next one yeah, it's a, it's a huge missing part of the Messiah mythos. It's, it's been forgotten about. Yeah. And that's a huge thing, really. That's a big deal. You can't have holes in a story like this. <laughs> so anyway, going back to... Um... Oh, yeah, this, this, the next one. If we can go to the next one. There you go. Yeah, while I was doing my research into the Ursus Obliquity Angle, these references, um, Professor Jocelyn Godwin, who wrote a book called Arctos, um, I was very influenced by that book in a lot of ways. Um, it gave me some answers. So I got into a conversation with him and he said, um, he, he wrote this, and he said, I'm less concerned with whether this theory of an ancient upright axis is historically true or false than with the reaction reactions it provokes. I don't think we'll ever establish the absolute truth about events in the distant past, partly for metaphysical reasons having to do with time, that I won't go into here, and partly for psychological ones. One type of person, when faced with a hypothesis like the vertical axis, immediately thinks of a reason it couldn't be true. And that's <laughs> an end to it. And that's an end to it. Another type to which we both seem to belong entertains it as an unproven but intriguing possibility. The difference is partly in how comfortable one is about admitting one's own ignorance. So please keep the debate. So please keep the debate alive. And that's what he, that's what he said to me. And I am. Every now and again, I'll, I will start presenting this this work. You know the, the things I found with this. Uh, it's like. Every now and again, I'll get it out to see what people's reactions to it are. But it's never really caught hold, you know. And uh, I think this is the first time I actually got an interview where I'm actually showing the images. Despite you know, being you can't, in places. You can't refute it, really. People need to yeah. do their own uh, research into it. I hope, you know, that this kind of inspires people to do their own research in it and they'll start finding all this themselves. I hope so. So now we come back to the code, all right? And Jim, Jim, getting in touch with me, right? And uh, telling me he has dreams about twenty-three point five. So this, I'll just give you the background to all that. And uh, you know, when people hear about this, they think uh, that's suspicious. Jim having a dream of twenty-three point five, and it happens to be your work and he gets in touch with you, you know. Well, when I started looking at all these uh, locations, these coordinates that are found in the code, and I put them on a map projection of the Earth, if we go to the next one, 
you'll see what I, what I did. Yeah, at the bottom there. So that's a flat map projection of the Earth and all the coordinates are on there, you see. And I thought, I want to know why Jim's, why he had these dreams of 23.5. So I did what I usually do, you know, I measure the angles between things. You know, the actual angles, the degree angles, is a great cipher. It's a terrific cipher. Because it's like, invisible, really. it's like invisible ink. Until you begin to measure yeah. them, you don't see any of it. You don't see it. It's only when you begin to measure the angles between certain points or linear objects that it all starts to, it all starts to emerge. Yeah. So uh, I don't think any yeah. of us watching this will ever be able to look at anything again without thinking what the angle is. Yeah, so it was definitely a cipher that was used, you know, the, yeah. you know encoding degree angles which are meaningful, and that is meaningful because it's the Earth's axis angle. Well, I thought I'd do what I usually do, and I'll measure the angles between two of these sets of coordinates. Now, if you go to the next one, you'll find that Nazca, yeah. and we, just, we talked about this, didn't we? We had, we had quite a few conversations before I got on today. We have, we have. So, the Nazca, the Nazca coordinates that are found in the code, if you look closely at this, and you'll see it in the second one, top, top right, I've outlined this triangle that, is, that the coordinates are inside of. Do you see that? Yeah. I hope people can see that. It's not a perfect triangle, it's kind of crooked. A little bit, yeah. And there's this kind of um, weird looking shape at the top. Yeah. It looks like a set square or something, you know? It does a bit. It's kind of a chevron design. Yeah. Well, anyway, if we go down to the left center, I found that that angle from the corner, the vertex, to the Nazca coordinates found in the code is 6.5 degrees. And then when I took that image and I made the, uh, the triangle upright, and it was only 17 degrees, rotated forward 17 degrees, that angle turned from 6.5 to 23.5. Yeah, what a shock. <laughs> but that's mind <laughs> it's mind boggling that whoever devised the code has plotted those coordinates at that point on the Nazca plane. Yeah? So in, inside this triangle, so you'd think of the triangle as a pyramid, yeah? Yeah. You know, like a 2D drawing of a pyramid, you right. know. And it's 23.5. And then I measured from Nazca to Giza on this flat map projection. Yeah, it was 23.5 exactly. Now, if you well, zoom say in... That, say that again, say that again. You measured well, from Giza... See, well, the one, the one at the bottom there, the one at the bottom. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm just say, saying that again just so that you heard this right. From Giza to Nazca. Well, no, from, Naz from Nazca to Giza, well, you go same, from Giza same, to Nazca. Same, same, Bahrain, is 23.5 degrees. On a, flat, on a flat map projection of the Earth. I mean, right. with a globe, with the globe, it's azimuth angles, which would be out. It wouldn't be 23.5. but this is on the flat one, yeah. Yeah, and of course, this is what I was meant to see at that level, you know, at that perspective. Yeah. 
you know. I did zoom in on in Google Maps, as I said, and I made an, a patchwork of these screenshot images and put patched them all together. Right. So I had an even closer close up of the of the map of the earth to measure the angles again. And it wasn't exactly twenty three point five, it was like twenty three point six or something, yeah. Right. But I thought that doesn't matter. This is how we're supposed to view it. We're supposed yeah. to view the coordinates like this on a map projection of the Earth where you can see all coordinates together and then measure the angles between them. Well, look, this was the first one I found, right? And I now measured from NAS. If we go to the next set. So the top left, I then measured from Nazca to Caracol which is the Mayan Pyramid, the Kana Pyramid at Caracol, and that is a 23.5 degree angle again. It's perpendicular to the first one. I mean, the way it's bunched up here, it looks like a V, but it's actually on a 90 degree angle from the other. It's insane, it's insane. <laughs> and then I measured from Nazca to High Brazil, High Brazil, High Brazil, I mean, I think the Irish pronounce it High Brazil. And, um, it's 51 degrees, and, and straight away I identified the side angle of the Great Pyramid. It's at 51.84, but 51 is good enough for us to recognize it as the side angle of the Great Pyramid, right? Yeah. And, of course, so I've added the equator and the Greenwich Meridian. Then I measured from Nazca to the intersection point of the Giza Meridian and the equator. Which is, which is uh, diagram 74, you've numbered 74. Do you see that? So it's 1175, that angle. Yep. And yep. that's half a 23.5, half a 23.5. So 75, I mean, it's again, it's bunched up. It should be wider. But again, you've, you've got 51, 23.5, And what I did was I mirrored the Nazca coordinates to the east of the Greenwich Meridian because I think that's what was required. It's kind of like a logical step to make, even though I've had people say, oh, that's kind of, you're, you're pushing it a bit there, aren't you? No, because it's no. a logical step to make. You know, you put the side angle down the other side. So, and then 76 at the bottom, I thought, what if I was to look at these what if I was to look at the angles between these coordinates, if I looked at the Earth, the map of the Earth the other way around, you know, where you've got Africa right. on the on left the and the Americas on the right. right. And of course you can see that there's no, doesn't mean anything, does it? No, not at all. You know, the, the only angle there, I mean, there's a Who song called Five, No. There's no significance of these angles. It's not, there's, nothing, there's nothing significant there, those angles, when you no. look at it that way around. No. But it's meaningful the other way we're supposed to, to see it. Right? Um, uh, this, this is a totally different thing to, altogether. We, we go to the next slide. I'll come back to that map in a moment. Okay. The other, uh, the other thing I discovered was that 
um, embedded in the Giza coordinates is another set of coordinates. If you take, <laughs> yeah, I know. Don't ask me how, oh how I came to this. I couldn't tell you. It's just a hunch I had. I thought, I wonder if there's coordinates embedded in the coordinates. I only found this with the Giza ones. I checked all of them, but I only found this with the Giza ones. And the last four digits of the latitude coordinates and the longitude coordinates, you take the last four digits of each, and then you turn them into another set of coordinates, which you see at the top there. Can you see that? In red. 78.36 78 north, yeah. 16.49 east. Yeah. It takes you to Svalbard. The seed bank. Yeah, which we, we talked about. But it takes you to a point, a location, which is six, only 16.5 miles from the Dooms, they call it the Doomsday Global Svalbard Seedville, which um, contains all the seeds of different from countries to preserve them in case there is a, a global catastrophe. So, yeah, so these Svalbard coordinates are embedded in the Giza coordinates, okay? As I said, it's the only example I found. It's the only set of coordinates that we all found this other set of coordinates embedded. And it's meaningful because in the book I wrote with Scott Crichton, I think it's the first book that ever mentioned Giza in the, con in the context of the global sea vault. The, the Svalbard sequel because um, it was Scott's it was Scott's theory that maybe the, the Giza pyramids were appropriated which means they weren't built for the purpose but they were appropriated later to be used as some kind of vault to uh, place to place things in case of, in, in the event that there might be a, a global catastrophe so they could preserve the culture, preserve the things in the pyramids, preserve their culture, all kinds of things, and, and then rise again like the phoenix afterwards, you know? Right. Not that they were built for that purpose, but as I said, they were used. Right, appropriated or reappropriated. So, yeah, it's weird to find the Svalbard coordinates embedded in the Giza coordinates especially when I wrote a book with Scott Crichton and that manuscript, the last manuscript for that book went off to the publishers the very same week when Jim Pennison sent me the coordinates to look at. There's no such thing as coincidences, it was purpose. And that book, as I said, it was the only book of its kind to actually mention the Svalbard and Giza. So at the bottom there, from the Giza prophecy, which I wrote with Scott, we say on uh, page on pages 47 to 48, and by constructing these giant pyramids, including Giza, they were putting in place the means by which their descendants could kickstart their civilization again after the predicted catastrophe had struck. Not only that, but through the information they plainly and cleverly encoded into the layer of the Giza pyramids, the knowledge of this deadly earth cycle would be made known to all future generations of their civilization, so as to allow them to make recovery preparations for the next arrival of the cyclical, cyclical cataclysm that they believe would soon bring about the collapse and destruction of their own world. 
collapse that we know from historical records did indeed come to pass when the so-called Old Kingdom collapsed, apparently as a result of sudden and catastrophic climate change, a theory that is supported by a recent scientific analysis of late core samples. And so within the various and numerous chambers of all the early giant pyramids, and in particular those at Giza, would be stored all the essentials that would be needed to secure the continuation, preservation and revivication of their civilization. Seeds, pottery, tools, weapons, linens, oils, practical texts, sacred texts and so forth. And it has to be said that this is not unlike the precautions our own civilization is presently undertaking by securing the Svalbard Global Seaboard, which opened in February 2008, the purpose of which is to secure crop diversity in the event of some unforeseen global catastrophe. Now, as I said, Giza, the Giza pyramids and Svalbard Seville are mentioned in our book, right? which was sent to the publishers the very same week when Jim Penniston sent me the corners from the coat. Now, the Svalbard Seed Vault was opened in February 2008. That's eight years after the code. Yeah. When Jim received the code in 1980. Uh, sorry, about 2008. Sorry, not eight years. No, I was going to say that actually the inception, the whole kind of concept of this Seed Vault was actually... Uh, some years after 1980, so this was 2008. Sorry, so that would be 28 years. 28 years. The, yeah. The, the event. But yeah, as as we go on, and if we do more interviews, I will show you how this code is a, a temporal anomaly. It's a time anomaly. There's things that it's given us, which only which only becomes relevant years after the code was given to Jim Penniston, you know? Right. So that's just one weird anomaly, you know. Why, why is it that the code is given me, to me to look at and the Svalbard coordinates are embedded in the Giza coordinates when those two, the subject of the Svalbard Siegel and the Giza pyramids were mentioned in the book, in the book I wrote Scott Cryer. Right. So there's themes here right, yes. that we are supposed to connect together. There's the Earth's axis angle, Svalbard Siegel, which is a global catastrophe precaution. Um, and if the Earth did tilt, then it's to do with a global catastrophe, which was to do with a great flood. You know, we've seen the paintings. Um, probably Atlantis and I will tell you later that the the uh, coordinates from the code uh, the Giza coordinates especially they uh, point to a timeline at Giza a timeline which is a processional cycle timeline and it gives us cataclysm dates on that timeline so it's like a recurring pattern it's a cycle so you can see where all this is heading yeah absolutely so there's something that is it's like the code is and i don't want to be a catastrophist you know like a yeah but it's not like it's next year there's a bit of time no no make. no that there is yeah but it's like it's given us a lot of time actually to prepare for the next cataclysm point in the cycle but that's i'm getting far ahead of myself here because i've got to show how that actually 
is determined from the code. Yeah, but I'm just giving you these kind of um, pointers, these themes that are coming out of the code, which we are supposed to associate. We're supposed to connect together to come up with a bigger picture. So if we go to the next one, and this is going to really kind of slay you now. You get this <laughs> next, the next, the next, the next lot. Cauliflower head. So the top left, okay. From high Brazil, I discovered that to those coordinates that were embedded in the Giza coordinates, which are at Svalbard, the angle from the high Brazil to those coordinates in Svalbard is 23.5 degrees. Huh. On, a map, on a map projection of the Earth. Really? And on the right, we see the whole picture of this two-dimensional pyramid, like cross-section view of the pyramid, the Great Pyramid. And these angles are all, are all pointing inside the pyramid as well. I mean, there's only three angles there. There's 23.5, 11.75, after 23.5, and 51, side angle of the pyramid. So all these angles are just those three angles, and they're drawn up an image of the Great Pyramid, centralised on the Greenwich Meridian and Equator. Right. Well, actually, the Queen's Chamber is centred on the, on the uh, intersection point between the Greenwich Meridian and Equator. And they're showing us the internal chambers at those angles. You see, they're pointing inside the Great Pyramid from those locations, like Sedona and Taishan. I don't know if people can see that properly. Probably. Most people will be watching on a phone so they can enlarge but, it. But the middle one, which is elongated, right? the middle one there, shows it clearly, shows it more clearly. All those angles are 23.5, 1175 and 51. Just those three angles. And it's drawn up a pyramid and it's showing what could possibly be another chamber at the centre above the King's Chamber. See? Yeah. And, and there's an angle which is actually not 23.5 but 24.5 leading off to. Was it 23.5? The Azores. The Azores in the Atlantic. And of course, people have said, and there's been a lot of theories about it, that the Azores, the islands of the Azores, and there's nine of them, but there's seven that are grouped together, that the Azor Islands are the mountain peaks of Atlantis. The, the mountains, when the land submerged, there was only the peaks of the mountains that were above the water, and they, they are the islands of the Azores. It's like the Azores are, are they Portugal or are they Greece or are they Spain? Portugal, Portuguese. They are, they are Portuguese. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what people have theorised. Um, you know, when the word Atlantis comes up, you know, it's one of those words that people want to try to avoid. A, a lot of, um, I don't know, people that, like researchers, who are very dedicated to their work, they they don't like the, the name Atlantis coming up in anything. You know, it's, it's kind of to be avoided. Because there's been so much controversy over it. So, um, right. But the Azores have been identified as a place, a location in the Atlantic that may have been near the submerged land of Atlantis. 
those vol those uh, sorry those islands are all volcanic. Yes, they are. So it kind of so it kind of makes sense, and uh, there is a lot of literature out there that points to the Azores as being the, the landmass of Atlantis. Um, what's left of it? So they're the bottom one now. It's Washington right. DC, and we uh -huh. see that we see the same pattern as what's come up, has drawn up this pyramid. The seven right. corners have drawn right. up this pyramid. Right. It's the same pattern in the map of Washington with the avenues. Now, those avenues uh, are, around, are around roughly 23.5, but it looks like they were meant to be. You know what I'm saying? When you look at this. And the Arlington Bridge is almost at 23.5. But when you look at it as a whole, it's all kind of, it all kind of makes sense. And you've got the White House at the center of this, of this cross-section. It's not that, it's not actually the King's Chamber, it's the one above, the, the coordinates. Oh, it's the one that we don't know about yet. Which is, which is unknown. Well, publicly unknown. Right. But going by what's been encoded at Washington, D.C., someone knew about it, someone might know about that chamber, it might have been breached. No doubt. But the code is pointing to another chamber at the centre of the pyramid. Right. And it's also pointing to the Azores, the line that's going to the Azores. And this is not the only reference to the Azores. There's quite a few references that come out of the code that's pointing to the Azores, which a few will get to in a moment. So now, if we go to the next set of slides. Please, Mandy. Uh, please, Leo. Recently, a lot of people know that the Great Pyramid has is, is been is scanning uh, the a team, was it a Chinese or Japanese? I, I can't remember. No. They're scanning the pyramids. They're using muon technology, muon right. particle technology. They're scanning the pyramids to see if there's any voids in there. And they found one that's kind of above the Grand Gallery. That it's not the same size as the Grand Gallery, but seems to be pointing up like the Grand Gallery. Okay. And if the coordinates are right. Of what they're pointing at, this central chamber, then that void could be another grand gallery that's pointing up to that chamber, like the grand gallery beneath which is pointing up to the king's chamber, which I'm showing at the bottom there. Right, you, you can see it better. Yeah, that chamber that the corners are pointing to is at the core centre of the Great Pyramid, in cross, when you see it in north-south cross section. And you can see that with a circle, you see at the centre of the circle. And um, it looks like that void could be pointing up to another chamber, but, but that's yet to be seen. You know, there, there's new uh, there's new scanning going on now, which they yeah. say they'd be able to find all the voids inside the pyramid. They'll be able to check every part of it inside, and then find if there's other chambers in there. Now, if a chamber is found at the core centre of the pyramid, then the, uh, the coordinates from the code that predicted it. So that's something to look out for. If we go to the next slide. That chamber at the centre of the pyramid is actually, you could say it's encoded in the Great Pyramid itself because the Great Pyramid, um, it has the proportions of the Earth, the combined proportions of the Earth and Moon encoded in it. 
And this was found by Johnny Michel, um, an author, back in 1967, I think, or was it 69? I'm not sure. Um, he found that the Great Pyramid encoded the, the combined proportions of the Earth and Moon in that way that we see in the image. But you see, the centre of the circle there, the yellow circle that I put on mm -hmm. there, which, which is the upper part of the equator, determined by the determined by the base of the pyramid to the apex, and the centre of the Moon and the equator of the Earth. It's it's spot on where the where the Great Pyramid is at Giza. So that chamber, you see, <laughs> on the map of the Earth, Giza is a, where that chamber is in the Great Pyramid. If you, <laughs> it's like oh it's my God! Wow. See that? Yeah. Now, yeah. All right. All these measurements here—they're probably a bit too much for people to take in, and they're long numbers. Yeah. But um, and they're to the sixteenth decimal point, sixteenth uh, de decimal place. And I've done that just to show how accurate all this is, you know. So sixteenth decimal place. Um, so anyone with some mathematical ability would be able to know, be able to see that. I mean, you know, my my brain just sees all that and it goes la la la. I believe it. <laughs> <laughs> well, this this is actually in the last chapter of the the Rendlesham Enigma book, which I right. co-authored with Jim Penniston. It's actually in the last chapter. It's all about that is in there. In so what detail. is the, the thing at the bottom is, is pi? See that? That's uh, that's what I was talking about, about the Potara. Right. The Temple of Apollo. It looks like a large gateway. And this is a photo by Professor J. Paul de Vereville, who is the cousin of the late Neil Armstrong. Okay. Oh. Yeah. And um, he came to visit me. He's very interested in the code, deeply interested in it. He has been for years now since I started working on it. Since he found out that I was working on it. And he came to visit me uh, where I was, when I was living in Biddeford, um, North Devon. And uh, he, he stayed there at the hotel there for a couple of days and uh, we were talking about the code. And then he took me to dinner on the last day before he left to go to Renishan forest okay because he was going to check out Renishan forest he wanted to visit the place and uh, later on he, he visited Naxos Island where we took that photo of the sun setting behind this Pultara handy gateway image now if you go to the next slide the reason why I'm talking about J Paul de Vereville is because um, it's weird what happened when he went to the Renishan Forest. But anyway, there's the front cover of Andrew Collins' book, Gateway, Gateway to Atlantis. And it's the same image, really, of yeah. the sun setting behind the yeah. Putara Gateway. So uh, when I saw that, I thought, what? That's weird that the Patara is on his cover and he's saying it's the gateway to Atlantis. So when I looked at the code, when I looked at Naxos, the coordinates of Naxos in the code, if you look at the image underneath, I then mirrored the coordinates. So what I did was with the longitude coordinates, instead of having east, I put instead of put instead of having E, I put W, and then it took us 
west of the Greenwich Meridian. Okay. Right. So that's the mirrored coordinates, the reflected coordinates. The same coordinates, same numbers, except that the longitude is W instead of E. And then you'll find that Gebekli Tepe is on that same latitude. You see that at the bottom? I do, but you know what's just going through my head? Yeah. It's Leonardo da Vinci. <laughs> Why is that? Mirroring. That's how he did his code. So it's like, was he telling us? Yeah, that? same thing with his code, I'm sure, that we were meant to right. mirror the coordinates as well. I mean, right. I, I have done that with all the coordinates. I, 11 years studying it, I'm bound to. Of course you have, yeah. But the ones that I'm shut, but the, what I'm showing you is what I found and the only kind of examples that do kind of justify this mirroring. Right. Okay, I just wanted to show for the bottom image there, that Gobekli Tepe and Naxos and of course when you, yeah when you mirror those coordinates to the west of the Greenwich Meridian from Naxos if you go to the next slide the bottom one I want to show the bottom one first the one right. at the bottom six can you see that green arrow yeah can you see the green arrow yeah. that's the mirrored coordinates of the Naxos coordinates that are found in the code those are the mirrored coordinates and it's only like a few miles away from Santa, Santa, Santa Maria. Maria Island and San Miguel Island. So yeah. it's in the Azores. It's re you reflect them and they go to the Azores. Now the top left picture is um, a nice depiction of the, the rings of Atlantis. Pos right. Poseidonis, you know, the capital of Atlantis. According mm -hmm. to Plato, you know, it's kind of concentric rings of earth and water canals. And on the right there, there's a map by Christian O'Brien. Christian O'Brien, who with his wife Joy had actually written a book called The Shining Ones. No. Same as. Same as you. Same, same title, yeah. And their book came out first. And I. And the book wasn't. That wasn't given the title because of their book. Okay found this out later that he'd written a book called The Shining Ones. And anyway, there's this map that is, is made of the Azores. And it's on that map, you'll see, well on the bottom one, see the bottom one, there's this right. glyph here of where he says that the ring capital of Atlantis, that's where, the, that's where he says the location. Oh, so it's, okay. So the mirror coordinates of, from Naxos are very close to it, you see? Yeah. And of course, the reason why I mirrored the coordinates in the first place was because I saw Andrew Collins' cover of his book, Gateway to Atlantis, with the Patara. And I, I right. wondered, you know, what if I mirror those coordinates to the west, see where they land, and it's just in the ocean. So uh, Andrew Collins, Oh yeah, I got in touch with him and I said, you know, your book, oh, I haven't read it. I said, well, where, do you, where are you saying that Atlantis was? You know, what's your theory about the location? And he said, Cuba. So I said, well, with the Renishim coolness, is quite a few references made to the Azores. And he goes, no, Cuba, Cuba, it's got to be Cuba. So I just left it. Yeah. I didn't press him on it anymore. And I thought, well, I'm just going to carry on with this, continue with what I'm finding, and just go where it leads me. 
It's know? the only thing you can do. Yeah. So uh, if we go to the next slide, or next group of pictures, there's the uh, there's an artist's impression of, of the Atlantis, the ring capital of Atlantis, you know, the concentric rings of land and water. Um, now, the Potara underneath is a, is a picture by William Blake. It's called The Emanation of the Giant Albion. Jerusalem, The Emanation of the Giant Albion. Of course, those are the tri-elephant stones of uh, Stonehenge. But yeah. It's like the gateway. It's like the Potara gateway of, um, you know, the Temple of Apollo on Naxos Island. And in the middle there, you can see an eclipse. It's an eclipse, a solar eclipse. Yeah. That's that's the uh, symbol of an eclipse in esoteric, you know, literature right. symbolism. And you've got three figures at the bottom there. One of them's Newton, John Locke, and I think the other one is uh, Francis Bacon. Put uh -huh. those three figures in. If we now go to the next set of slides, while uh, Professor. J.P. de Verville, John Paul de Verville, Jonathan Paul de Verville, was uh, visiting Renishan Forest. This crop circle turned up. Uh, where was it? So, yeah, he visited me on the 24th of August, okay? And then he went, I think he went and had a look at some crop circles. That's what he's interested in. He's actually, um, he's into Jungian analysis, you know, dream analysis. Um, that's, I think, is that is what his dissertation was to do with, with Carl Jung. But he became interested in the uh, crop circles. So he was visit. He's from he's from Texas, from Austin, Texas. But he used to visit, He would visit every year the crop circles that were turning up, you know, in Wiltshire, parts of, you know, South England. And he would be visiting these crop circles. And uh, while he was in Renishaw Forest, after he visited me. And of course, when we had that dinner, I said to him, talking about the code, I said, I wish I had a, some kind of sign from whoever devised the code, whatever intelligence it is, you know, give me a sign, I'm on the right track, you know. And I was talking about uh, Naxos mirroring the coordinates to the Azores. So then he leaves me and he goes to look at some crop circles and then he goes on to Rendlesham Forest and while he's in Rendlesham Forest this crop circle appeared on the 29th of August in Wiltshire no doubt and it's showing what we see with the uh, with the glyph that Chris, Chris, Christian O'Brien had drawn to show the rings of Atlantis it's the same design yeah. and with the canal that leads through the the um, waterways and the, and the right. land there's this path uh, canal, sorry, canal so it's showing that as well it's also showing seven see seven um, kind of appendages on the on the outer circle right it's seven of them, so it's like seven coordinates seven sets of coordinates but then you have this uh, esoteric symbol for the eclipse which is what we find you know, in the, in the William Blake picture, and that was what me and Jean Paul de Viva were talking about. We were met, we were discussing that picture and how close it was to the Patara, you know, the image of it with the Patara. Right. right. So you can see how all this has kind of come together. And this crop was circle. Was this enough is, of a sign for you? Oh, 
after I said that I wish I'd assigned, yeah, yeah. I mean, people probably laugh at that, but I'm just, well, I'm I think really, it's, and it's it makes you laugh because it's just like, holy crap, what more of a sign would you like? Well, it appearing while he was in Renwisham Forest as well, it's kind of strange. Uh, anyway, um, I'm sure people will laugh at that because I'm not really, a, I'm not, uh, I haven't really researched into the crop circles. Yeah. Uh, I've kind of, I've always been a, you know, not, not a believer as such, but kind of interested, if you know what I mean. So that was just a weird thing that happened around that time. So if we go to the right, the picture on the right, that's a, that's a map projection of the earth. You see, after map, uh, Google Maps had changed their format in 2014, <coughs> I thought I'll, I'll find another map projection of the earth which will, I could use to draw, draw up the pyramid again from scratch to see if there was anything else I'd missed. So I use this one, and it, it does have the guy's name underneath who actually created this. So I started off going over all this again. I started off with the Nazca coordinates, and I mirrored the Nazca coordinates first to the east of the Greenwich Meridian. You see that at the bottom? Can you see the line at the bottom there? Yeah, the dark one. You see the, you see the black one, yeah. Yeah. Now that's... Yeah, so you've got Nazca coordinates and you mirror those coordinates to the east and that's where it, that location lands there, okay? And then what I did was I, I drew up 23.5 degree angles. If you go to the next one, sorry, go to the next one. You know, it's difficult doing this. You're doing marvellously and I'm so glad that we've got the slides as squished as they might be. They've been invaluable. It's the first interview I've ever done where I've been able to get graphics up. Um, and next time you can do your own. <laughs> You're the yeah, graphic I mean, I've, done, I've done a lot of interviews in the past, but it never really worked out right, you know. And really, it's because I'm trying to describe something that you need to see visually. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And it all goes wrong. And I've kind and of consigned really, those... It would be really dry if you were doing it as just a straight-on presentation rather than having a bit of a chat and a bit of feedback and, you know. Yeah. And you, we know each other now, so go yeah. on, I interrupted you, so sorry. So anyway, there's this triangle. I, I drew up the 23.5 degree angle, side angles. That's not how the code draws them up. It's 51 degree angles, but I tried this first. Actually, I came to it in a kind of roundabout way and and not in the sequence that I'm showing you here, but I kind of discovered all this. And then I did 23.5 angles, um, not perpendicular to those, but, well, they are, they are perpendicular, yeah, because we're they looking are, yeah. at because they're scrunched up, perpendicular, okay? And they go to, the, well, the landmass distances, see? And then I cut short those other 23.5 degree angles. And if you look at the one below, you find right. it's, a, it's a pentangle. Well, it's yeah. a pentagon. Pentagon, yeah, pentangle, pent, yeah. 
pentagon with the star, which is the naughty star. Now, with these 23.5 degree angles, um, I've lost it now. Lost what are you looking for? It's okay, I've got it now. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a distorted kind of pentacle, you know. Or it's you know the, the star. It's, it's kind of distorted because we're using twenty three point five degree angles. And then you, if we go to the next, if we go to the next slide, you find that we can, we find that we can uh, actually attach the fire golden ratio spiral to it. And this is what we were supposed to do because if you look at the image below, which just shows the the lines in isolation, right, without the map projections behind it, you can see it properly, and you can see that. Nazca, Caracol, Giza and High Brazil are on those lines. You see that? Yes. Okay, and Caracol is actually on the fire ratio angle, which is 31718. It's 31.718. It's the fire ratio angle. And you find that the vanishing point of the spiral goes right into the Azores. So that's another reference to the Azores. <laughs> so if we go to the next slide, and you see how all this comes together. And I can't go for the whole lot because there's like 26 in the sequence. Yeah. So I'm just showing you the first few how I came to all this. So if you go to the next slide, oh yeah, you've got it. Number six at the top there. Yeah, that's just showing you the Azores again on the map and then the one underneath number nine is where I start to draw up the side angles of the pyramid and you can see how all that kind of matches with those with those other it all comes together doesn't it yeah and you can see that the side the left side of the pyramid or the triangle 23.5 degree angle Actually, no, it's the Azores. But you can see those lines, that, that, no, sorry, those alignments are all kind of centered on the Azores there. It feel like it's pointing to it. Yeah, as I said, there's quite a few references made to the Azores uh, from the code. This is just, I mean, the one that when you mirror the Nas Na Naxos coordinates, that's one reference. This is another reference with this golden spiral there that's connected yeah. to this geometry, you know. Do you realise we've got this far into it and we haven't mentioned the golden thing yet? <laughs> the one that you've learned? The one at Giza? Yeah, I know, but I'm, I'm saying, I'm, I'm doing no, this no, no, now no. and I'm hopefully we can do it. The, the Carl Sagan stuff? Yeah, but, but I we said can, that. We can say yeah. that for next one. Yeah. Um, so that if we go to the next one, that this is uh, this is the 26th one in the sequence. It's the last one. 
and it's not that clear. I don't think people are going to be able to pick up on it properly. It it's, what it is, yeah. it's, showing, it's showing the two chambers we know of, the two internal chambers we know of, and the, and the third one at the centre. And of course, it would be the fourth chamber up for, if we count the subterranean chamber, which is right here. Right. But all these, um, all these angles are twenty-three point five, eleven seventy-five, and fifty-one—just three angles. The same thing. Drawn See, up. All Zina these. says she can zoom in. Zina's on a phone and she can move it. She can zoom in and see it perfectly fine. The odds against this is off the scale. I mean, this is all seriously. Been, it's all deliberate encoding. So, the magic question, um, if you want to remove the last one, Leo, magic question is, why? What's going on? Well, this was the initial information that came out. Uh, when I first started work on it, which was February 2011, it, right. within six months, I found all that. With, with Google Maps. But as I said, Google Maps started to change their format where you couldn't zoom in like you could before. Well, I wonder so, why. I, I take that I mean, You probably would be able to work this out with other programs, with other um, you know, map, mapping programs. But yeah. Google Maps, Google Maps was simple. It was, it was very kind of intuitive. It, could, it all sort of came out of that easily. And... Um, I only had a window, I only had a time window of about four years between 2010 when I think the first version of it came out. I'm not sure, I think it was 2010. Dina just said it's all connected. And they knew, but it was hidden, yeah. I mean, it's true. They, they all knew. I wonder how far back it goes, though. You know, you've got to 500 BC. I wonder how much further. It'd be interesting to start looking at petroglyphs and hieroglyphs and stuff and see if it's in that too. Yeah, well, the other thing about sorry, we got lost there for a moment. We did. Yeah, I was going to say that uh, we can see here that the the Great Pyramid is drawn up on the Greenwich Meridian. Okay. But in ancient times, people believe that in ancient times the prime meridian actually ran through the, ran through the Great Pyramid of Giza, right. and that all the other locations around the world were kind of coordinated to the Great Pyramid, being where the prime meridian was at that yeah. time. And um, and then you see the Washington D.C. pyramid, you know, in the map of Washington D.C. and that's 16th Street, which was going to be put forward as the prime meridian before. They chose the Greenwich Meridian it in was. 18, 18, so I can't remember the year. It was early 1800s, I think. But they were going to put that forward as, as for the Prime Meridian, Washington DC Meridian. Uh, well, that was one of the contenders. Uh, France had their one, they were running through Paris, they wanted to have that as the Prime Meridian. And they were all kind of competing with each other. Uh, Greenwich got it. Um, but you see, these pyramids, showing these pyramids aligned with the meridians. Right. And if you look at the old ancient um, depictions of uh, Yggdrasil, you know, the, the, the well tree, the shamanic well tree, 
and the shamanic world mountain. Well, you know, you can see it all in one image. You've got the you've got the world tree, and you've got the tri you've got the mountain in the middle that fixes the world tree or the Earth's axis, the axis Monday in place. So the you know, in the middle Earth part, right. you've got heaven, you've got the underworld, and you've got the right. mountain in the middle, and it's and it, the actual meridian is being fixed in place by the mountain, by the world mountain, the shamanic world mountain. It's the same imagery you get with these pyramids aligned to the meridians, you know? So it totally is. And it's as if it's a kind of orientation thing that who, whoever had the prime, whatever city or country had the prime meridian running through it, or their capital or whatever, it's like, um, it's like an orientation. It's like a psychic doorway because it's zero. You know, it's it's zero, it's zero point. It's the it's the tree that the shaman that the shamans would climb to heaven, right, or down to the underworld, and it's like there's this same theme with this wanting to have these pyramids, like the glass pyramid at Paris. You know, right, that's near the Paris meridian, having a pyramid on the meridian. You see, yeah, it's something that never that no yeah. one really knew about. This is a lot about zero point. And every time we've yeah. spoken, it's like... Yeah, it is, actually. Yeah, it is. I could go on and on and on. I mean, I know. One, one of the reasons why I don't... One of the we reasons why I've never... Yeah, one of the reasons why I never <laughs> like doing interviews is because I'll think of something and then it will lead to something else and something else. Something, and I'll ramble on and I'll start diverting from what I'm supposed to be talking about and I'm going into other areas. Oh, you've just discovered what's from doing is the pictures. I have to discipline myself because, as I said, I have, I think about something, it's something else, and then something else, and these graphics keep me on point. <laughs> Absolutely, talking and about, it's talking about these graphics. It's like, it's like you can't. I can't listening to it dry. It makes sense a little bit, and then it just sort of disperses. But having all the things to look at and have it explained at the same time. It connects all the dots, so now it's like holy crap, you know. Yeah. So where to? Where to next? I mean, we're going to do another one. Well, the, you see, people, I've heard on in the grapevine that people think that me and Jim Pennison have made all this up ourselves. You know. Oh lord. Which is total, total, total rubbish. No. And so the next one will prove it because there's a way in which the code authenticates itself. You know. All right, so that's uses, what we've got. That's what we've got yeah. coming up next. Yeah. We're going to have to wrap. We're going to, as much as I don't want to, I'm going to have to wind it up because Leo's got another show to do later on, and he needs a break. Um, and I definitely need a tinkle. So now that yeah. the world knows that, you know. Yeah, go on. We we got another one we can do. We can do a third one if you like. Right, and if, and if I get going with the with the questions and what I have in my brain, we'll be here for another few hours. So you don't want me to to even go because I, I put in the chat that mathematical equation that you showed with the star. I'll say that real quick. Um, when you were talking about uh, Washington D.C. being in contention, uh, that entire uh, mathematical equation is also located uh, overlaying um, uh, Washington D.C. in the ten mile square. The way they set up the streets and all of the right, uh, things that are in place, it, it, it exactly reflects what you showed on that map. And I'm sure right. that the, the one in France probably does the same. Thanks. Yeah. 
So yeah. this has been absolutely incredible information, and even though I've already heard it, it's it's been very useful to have those pictures. So it's important. So it's we're not going to wait when, too long. So what? It's even it's even better when you discover all this yourself. You know. Oh my god! Because you don't I mean, you don't really you don't really appreciate it unless until no you, you, you are discovering this yourself. I mean, you don't sleep no, very much. Wonder. <laughs> I've, I've laid every I've laid everything out step by step in the books I'm writing so that people can follow it and you know that they can see for themselves. So and now it's, it's just uh, it's to shove you in the direction of of a publisher and get it all published because it's ready to go. And no, I, I, I'm, I'm going to publish it. I'm publishing them myself. I mean, it's what me and Jim Pennison did. We published through Amazon. Good. We did it ourselves. Good. That's the best, so, the best way to go because I've been with publishing houses before, and it, yeah, you know, uh, they don't yeah. do what they say they're going to do. They don't really publicise it. They give you all the spiel saying that oh yeah, they'll, they'll, right. they'll promote it, and they don't. You know, well, so, you know where don't. we are when that happens, but yeah. we can't leave it too long before the next one. So a bit of a break, and then we'll go for the part two. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks very much. In a couple of thank weeks. You. And and thank you. Thank you. I want to thank everybody. Thank you to everybody. Thank you to everybody. You were blowing everyone's mind, Gary. Everyone in the audience was mind blown and gobsmacked. They were making comments and they asked a few questions, but you answered all the questions right after they had asked them. And they were, if you go back and look at the chat, you'll see a bunch of. Yeah. And people going, what? <laughs> Do you know why? Do you know why? Because I know the kind of questions that have come up. And I've tried to disprove this. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't just find something. I have to try and disprove it, yeah. you know, before I really accept it as something that's just valid. You know, and it's, you know, one thing Dina, that confirmed. Dina, he's already in the group, darling. Yeah, Dina immediately. He needs to join Ancient Aliens Worldwide. He needs to be in the group. He's in the group, Dina. <laughs> he's, already, he's already in the group, Dina. <laughs> anyway, the next interviews we do will just be as mind-blowing. In fact, more so, because the so, way it authenticates itself is something important. that nobody could nobody could have known it. Not Jim Penniston. Nobody could have known it. Because right. it, it predicts a 12-digit number that came up in the future that was determined by physicists. I'm excited for that one. All right. Did you get your mind blown, Leo? Oh, yes. And I, I, can, I can't go into details because we're live. Uh, and uh, Peter started to and then even said, I've said too much. Right. Uh, and, and because he was, he was talking, he was showing the prophecy of right. what you were saying when you were talking about uh, the mathematics and, uh, and the numbers leading to the different places. He was showing yeah. and he was actually typing in where prophecy uh, actually said the things that you were saying to back up and corroborate what you were saying. And yeah. I had put in there, I don't know if you know the um, Colbrin Bible. Uh, I want to yeah. say this on air so people can look it up. The Colbrin Bible is a Bible that's in Scotland. The first six books or scrolls that came out of Egypt during uh, the Exodus. And in right. the, the first scroll in that uh, Bible, which they put together with their Bible, uh, is actually tells about pre-deluge, the the so-called war of the gods that the Hindus talk about, and it is in fact uh, the a destruction of the human race because of a meteor, and that tilted the Earth off of its axis, and that's where they got yes. the god of war, Mars, from. And it tells about that in the in the, so that's that scroll goes back. We're talking 
you know, hundreds of thousands of years before the I could have got in, I could have got into all that. There's a lot of textual evidence from the ancient records and that that do kind of go along with this. Next time, because I'll tell you, there, the audience will be mind blown if if you cover again, that next time because again. I was because yeah. I've read the scrolls and I was like, oh, I know what he's talking about. <laughs> right. Good. All right. So. That's um, great. Thank yeah. you, everybody that showed up and who are going to watch in the future. And yeah, the guys, greatest uh, thanks to you, Gary. Thank you. Thank you. Tune in the next time, Gary. I, I apologize, Mandy, for, for over-talking. But you guys, it, this is just the tip of Gary's iceberg, guys. Just it is. So you know. It is. Absolutely. <laughs> I've, lived, I've lived and breathed this stuff for years. I've lived and breathed it for years. Over by Liam. Yeah. Well, now's the time to actually start sharing this, this information. You know, I think properly. I I agree, and I think once we've got sort of beginning to end, well, there's not going to be an end, is there? Because you're just never going right. to stop. And yes, I want to uh, I want to acknowledge. I want to thank Mandy. Mandy made all of this uh, possible. If she was not being the curator of, of Ancient Aliens Worldwide for the last what are we almost four years now, uh, and putting all this together, we would have never had this interview and interviews in the in the past and in the future. So I want to thank everybody, thank wanna, Mandy for this, I and Gary, thank, thank you. Thank I you. need to thank her personally because she, we've both had conversations and we're leading up to this, and me sending you all these images, you know, it's like an onslaught, all these images. You've never done anything like it before. But then I thought, when I was working out what I was going to say, I needed those images just to, you know, make the conversation flow. So that people could see it for themselves. You totally needed them. It just needed to be numbered. Then they could have been. But that's why we did what we did. So it's good. And, yeah, and I, I wouldn't I, have been able to put those together as squished as they might have been if I hadn't been talking to you for months. Thank you for all the love, people. That's very sweet. Thanks for your patience on that. By the way. Absolutely. Mandy. Do you feel okay. Do you feel more confident about doing this now? Yeah, what what was missing was uh, you needed the visuals, and when you I was trying to visual. describe things before, people didn't know what I was talking about. And then you get the interview, diverting the, the conversation to something else. When I was trying to get something across, that was exactly. That's why it's the best yeah. to be a best interviewer. You need to shut up. Yeah, yeah, for, yeah. For those, yeah, no, and it's no joke for us. The, we let you go, and once you have like that with the photos. Then uh, even on my show, I would just be sitting there doing what I was doing and clicking the, the for you the, the the photos that come up next, uh, and that's what I would be doing. I would be acting like a producer, like I was here, because if I start talking, I'm going to throw you off track and we're going to screw everything up. So it was perfect right. the way you did it, uh, and right. just know going forward that uh, if if you demand from other people, I'm just helping out. If you say to other people, listen, I have slides I want to put together, uh, it'll go better. And get the, everyone else used to it who's going to be wanting to interview you used to the idea that you have this I have setup. a feeling by interview right. number three, he's going to have a giant yeah. whiteboard and a long right. pencil. Yeah, with a, yeah, with a laser pointer. Look, <laughs> yeah. no, I, will, I, will I will end with this. Right. If this was kind of, um, if this was like a remarkable presentation of people, just wait till we get to the real kind of serious stuff. I mean, this was the right, initial right. information that came out. And it's the first time I've really ever talked about it. Because I always go to how the code authenticated itself, because that is really the, the jewel in the crown, you know? Yeah. But I'm glad I got this out first, and I've, at last I've talked about it. So. Exactly. Yeah. The cat's out of the bag, and if you hear it anywhere else, they're lying. Because right, he yeah. did it. All right, right, so 
Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you, um, mate. You lovely thank people. Thank you very yep. much. And thank yep. you, Leo, for doing our normal sort of doodah thing. Absolutely, absolutely. And, well. um, and for everybody who's listening in, who have been here now watching this, come back at 4 p.m. and I will be live on Orion Rising instead of Ancient Aliens Worldwide. And I'll be talking about the Law of One, which is which actually covers some of what Gary was covering. <laughs> That's all a big part. It's all a big part. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All Thank right. you very much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. We're going on live.